From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. So for COVID patients that were admitted to the hospital, if we were able to safely discharge them, let's say they were on two liters of oxygen, um, they had finished their course of antibiotics, um, but they were still requiring oxygen, we were able to send them home with a pulse ox and again, this other remote Uh, remote equipment. And then what happens is every day uh, we do a telehealth visit with that COVID patient. Number one, how are they feeling? Is their pulse ox still staying above 90%? And then we are doing a telehealth visit with them every day until they're either able to get off their oxygen or they're able to get a follow-up appointment with their primary care provider. That's Dr. Janice Coffin talking about finding success with COVID patients by utilizing remote patient monitoring. We'll hear more from Dr. Coffin in just a moment, but first, a word from our sponsor. Spend more time doing what you love, caring for patients, and less time on clinical documentation. Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience or DAX, captures the patient's story securely and accurately to automatically document at the point of care for increased efficiency and patient throughput. Discover how DAX provides a better patient experience and eliminates afterward documentation. Visit nuance.com DAX to sign up for a live stream demo and explore how DAX Nuance's ambient clinical intelligence solution can transform your organization. Our guest today is Dr. Janice Coffin, Chief Transformation Officer, Augusta University Health System. Dr. Coffin is here today to talk about a real life story on how she implemented remote patient monitoring for her parents and patients and combined it with a team-based care management approach for lasting benefits. Dr. Coffin, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Now, as you know, this past year has been one unlike any other. So where has your main focus been over the past 12, 13 months? So working at an academic medical center, so I work at Augusta University and uh, for the state's medical school, the Medical College of Georgia. And within the last year, we've had to make some pretty significant changes like most institutions in that with the COVID pandemic, it was really difficult to see patients in person or really even to have the patients come in along with their family members. Um, So what we were able to do is uh, within a very short period of time, we were able to roll out telemedicine. So that included telehealth visits. So that's a video module with patients, a telephone visit. So if our patients didn't have internet access to roll out telephone visits. And then we partnered with a third party vendor called NavCare and we rolled out what's called remote patient monitoring. And so for our most vulnerable patients, especially our Medicare beneficiaries with two or more chronic medical problems, uh, what we were able to do is send our patients home with certain equipment. 
So um, if they had COPD, we would send them home with a pulse ox. Um, they could also have a blood pressure cuff if they were diabetic, a glucometer. Um, if they were a congestive heart failure patient, we would send them home with a scale. And what ended up happening is um, those patients would take their vitals every day, a blood pressure, a weight, a pulse ox, and potentially if they were diabetic, um, a blood sugar reading. That information would then be uploaded um, through NAVCARE into our electronic medical record. And based off of our protocols, um, if the patient was within the normal protocol, they would just upload those every day. And if they fell outside the protocol, what would happen is NAVCARE uh, would be kind of notified of that. And um, as well as the caregiver. So I have two parents. I live in Augusta, Georgia. They live in Denver, Colorado. Um, my parents were a pilot, and so I can see every day their vitals that they upload, and if they're out of the norm, they flag it as red, and then I know that they will be getting a call from NAVCARE, um, and part of the call is, you know, did you take your medication today? Um, did you go outside of your diet? If they did miss their medication, what they'll do is they'll have them take their medication, blood pressure, diabetic meds, and then they'll have them repeat their vitals in four hours to make sure that their vitals are better. So for someone being in Augusta, Georgia and having elderly parents live in Denver, Colorado, it's nice to know that I have a team of people helping me to manage my parents and it's not just myself. I can also see what they're doing every day if they are taking their medicines and they are taking their vitals. And it really does give me a peace of mind, not just for myself, but others who've actually signed up for the program. Mm -hmm. That has to be interesting to have your parents in this trial study. Do, do they give you any feedback on what your bedside manner is like? <laughs> well, what I will say is this. My parents are, uh, they know that if they don't upload their vitals every day, someone's going to be notifying them. Um, if they don't take their prescription medications and their vitals are out, they know that someone's going to notify them. So it's made them more accountable per se for their own health care. Um, and it's helped me because it's not just myself um, calling my parents to encourage them to take their medications or to take their vitals, but I have a whole other team that's reaching out to them as well. And it does give me peace of mind the other thing is with this program, um, our third-party vendor, NAVCARE, they are 24-7, 365. So if my parents had a question or they had a concern, they can actually call them midnight, Sunday night, and say, you know, I'm having chest discomfort or I'm short of breath, and they'll actually talk to a nurse, mm -hmm. and the nurse can then triage, okay, take an additional dose of your medication based off protocol, or they fall out of that protocol, follow up with your doctor in the morning, or call 911 based off of what our protocols say. Mm -hmm. So it's nice that they have someone that they can call 24-7, 365, and know that someone is there and available to talk to if they need somebody. Okay. So what has the pandemic done then to remote patient monitoring? I know that we had the regulations relaxed for telemedicine, telehealth. Um, has it helped? Is it, is it neutral what it's done for a study like this? I mean, what has been your assessment now that we're 12, 13 months into the pandemic here in the U.S. and with some of the lockdowns and restrictions? 
Yes, sir. So what I will say is in the last few months, because we've done well with telemedicine, telehealth, and with our small pilot for remote patient monitoring, we've now kind of rolled out what we call hospital from home. So for COVID patients that were admitted to the hospital, if we were able to safely discharge them, let's say they were on two liters of oxygen, um, they had finished their course of antibiotics, um, but they were still requiring oxygen, we were able to send them home with a pulse ox and again, this other remote, uh, remote equipment. And then what happens is every day, uh, we do a telehealth visit with that COVID patient. Number one, how are they feeling? Is their pulse ox still staying above 90%? And then we are doing a telehealth visit with them every day until they're either able to get off their oxygen or they're able to get a follow-up appointment with their primary care provider. What this does is we can safely discharge patients knowing that they'll have a telehealth visit with a provider every day. We also have a team of um, care providers. So RNs, pharmacists that are helping us with the remote patient monitoring. Again, that those vitals are uploaded every day. We're able to free up beds for you know, more acute patients to come into the hospital. And I'll be honest, um, you know, we, uh, a percentage of our patients are self-pay and we're able to get those patients out in a safe manner where before they may not have very good follow-up with their primary care. It's also helped with our hospital costs because we're able to get patients out of the hospital in a timely manner. Um, it reduces the amount of days or the length of stay that the patient is in the hospital and um, again, freeze up bed for the more acute patients. And we've, able be, we've been able to show in the last month or so um, our cost savings associated with that. Okay, thanks for sharing that information mm -hmm. with us. Now, you're gonna be speaking on this topic at the upcoming MGMA Pathways Conference in May. Your topic is RPM success story, keeping my parents and patients connected and cared for. For anybody who's gonna be in attendance to that, give us an idea. What is something they can learn that they can take away from that session? So um, when you look at value-based care, so a lot of where healthcare is heading is value-based care. So um, are our payers getting the most value with the care of those patients? And so, you know, that comes into play evidence-based medicine, but how do we take care of our patients outside of the traditional four walls? So in the past, you know, if, if, if a patient of mine had diabetes, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, they may see me every three months. But in that 90-day period, there's nobody calling them to ensure what are their blood sugars running? Are they taking their blood pressure and their diabetic medications? Are they watching their diet and trying to exercise? So no one really is contacting that patient within that 90 days. With remote patient monitoring, again, they're uploading their vitals every day. If things fall out of the norm, someone is calling them and it could be a daily, a weekly, or a monthly basis. So someone has a touch point with that patient in between the every three months that I'm seeing them. And I'll be honest, our patients really appreciate that, especially during the pandemic, when people have been kind of kept inside and they've been isolating, it's been nice that 
someone is actually reaching out to check on them and make sure that they're doing okay. Because prior to us doing telehealth, telemedicine and remote patient monitoring, I'll be honest, I'm not sure how, how good we were at reaching out with our patients other than their in-person appointments. Mm -hmm. So you've talked about all the benefits here that are taking place with r remote patient monitoring. What are some of the challenges? Is it buy-in? Is it adoption? It's, is it education? What is, where are you finding some of the challenges right now? Yep. So you're absolutely right. There, there are some barriers. Number one is your patient really has to have a kind of a, a connection, an internet connection where, uh, number one, that they can upload their equipment. Number two, they have to understand how to use the equipment. And that's where NavCare comes in. They spend, you know, anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes getting them hooked up to the equipment. Uh, number two is initially, um, when patients were on this, if they got a phone call, they weren't sure if that phone call was kind of a scam related call versus someone from their healthcare team. NavCare has now a little box. And so what will happen is if someone from the healthcare team is calling, that could be their doctor, their pharmacist, the nurse or NavCare, they know when that box rings, it is someone from your healthcare team. It is not a scam call. And therefore they feel, okay, I can go ahead and take this call. So there's, so you're absolutely right. There are some barriers. They have to ha be able to use the internet. They have to be able to understand the equipment. Uh, number three, they have to be willing to take their vitals every day. And um, number four, this is a, this is a service that is uh, reimbursed by Medicare. Now, uh, if they have just plain Medicare A, there might be a copay associated with that every month. Um, if they have Medicare Part A, B, um, it should cover that cost. So there may be a cost associated with that depending on what part of Medicare that the patient has. Mm -hmm. You talked earlier about the team-based approach. Tell us a little bit more about that then. How does the team work together to make sure this is working for the patient? Yeah, so that's a great question. So number one is um, the team, so NavCare reaches out to the patient to ensure number one, that they have their equipment, is it set up appropriately, and what is expected of the patient every day to upload that information. And then um, what happens is they have a running list of all the patients. And once those vitals are uploaded, if they're within the normal range, um, they're kind of in the medium section. If those vitals are out of the normal range, they'll pop up to the top because those are the first patients that they're gonna call. The patients are expected by a certain time to upload their vitals. So if they haven't uploaded them, they fall again to the top and they're calling those patients to say, hey, listen, we noticed that you haven't uploaded your vitals today. Is there a problem? Mm -hmm. um, my parents were hospitalized in December. So for three or four days, they were not uploading anything. And every day they were calling until I called NavCare to say, hey, listen, I'm sorry. They're in the hospital right now. Once they get out, I will let you know and they will start uploading their vitals again. But every day they were calling and leaving messages for my parents. So it's nice to know that, again, if the doctor, if your provider is not reaching out every day, if they're not uploading their vitals or their vitals are uh, fall out of that normal range, that someone is reaching out from the care team 
to ask them what's going on. Did you take your medication? You know, was your diet off? Did you have, you know, a hard time sleeping last night? Maybe their blood pressure was up. Uh, I'll be honest, over Thanksgiving, my parents had some ham and some turkey, which, you know, had quite a bit of salt. Their blood pressure and their weight both went up. And so, you know, they were counseling them maybe, you know, if they're going to have some ham instead of having a whole slice, have a half a slice. And just, so it's, a, a lot of it is just education because as a provider, I talk about diet and exercise, but I don't really go into depth in a 15 minute visit about what a diet entails, what exercise entails, but um, NAVCARE with, with our nurses will actually go into that detail regarding diet and exercise, why they should be compliant with their medications, what their medications are used for. This one's a blood pressure pill, this one's a heart pill, this one's your cholesterol pill. And I'll be honest, sometimes as providers, we, we tell them we're going to put you on this medication, but they may not necessarily understand why it is that they have to take that medication. And that's kind of where our care team comes in to kind of help clarify that information that they may not ask or be afraid to ask when they're in the clinic with us. Mm -hmm. You were talking about your parents being in this trial. Um, when we think about remote patient monitoring, though, where does it fit in in the whole idea as we move from fee-for-service to value-based care? And is it providing solutions maybe that we're not even thinking about as far as treating wellness? You keep talking about your parents, just even what they consumed at a particular meal and how this changed some things for them. So what is it doing for the, uh, what does it point to for the future of, of healthcare and value-based care? Yeah, so uh, you're absolutely right. I think the future of healthcare is not the traditional four walls. You come into your doctor and you leave and you don't, you're not seen back for three, six months or a year. What remote patient monitoring telehealth has allowed us to do is reach out to our patients in a manner that is convenient for them. Number two, um, it kind of holds us all accountable for the patient's care. Someone's reaching out to make sure that they're uh, taking their medications, that they're hopefully following a diet and exercise program. And let's just take, for instance, you have a congestive heart failure patient. So these are patients that tend to be admitted to the hospital probably mo more so than any other comorbid condition. And they tend to have readmissions within 30 days. So um, as some of our viewers probably understand, Medicare, if a patient is readmitted within 30 days for the same diagnosis, Medicare does not reimburse for that second or third hospitalization. So let's take one of our congestive heart failure patients. If we're able to discharge them in a safe manner, we're able to send them home with a, a um, scale, as well as a blood pressure cuff if they're diabetic, with a glucometer and a pulse ox, and every day they're uploading their weight, well, our protocol is if they gain more than three pounds, someone is calling them to say, did you miss your medication? Or, no, I didn't, but I did, you know, eat some, you know, processed foods the other day. Okay, let's go ahead and take an extra dose of your Lasix, and we will call you back tomorrow to see how you're feeling. And therefore, we're preventing that ER visit and hopefully preventing a rehospitalization. So really when we look at our most vulnerable patients, our Medicare beneficiaries, 
And um, some of these programs, again, are paid for or reimbursed by Medicare. Um, it really has been shown to reduce readmission rate and reduce the number of ER visits if the program is used appropriately. Mm -hmm. So I know that some, uh, we, we um, at Augusta University, we looked at the amount of personnel that it would take, the platform it would take uh, to do this, and we just didn't have a lot of those things in place at the time, and that's why we partnered with NavCare. Others may do it in-house where they're doing everything in-house. You just have to have, again, the appropriate personnel, uh, the time and the commitment to be able to do this and to reach out to those, to those beneficiaries that are on the program. Mm-hmm. You were talking about the time commitment. So what did it take for you guys to get up to speed? Was there additional training for your staff to know how to administer this kind of a trial program? Or what all did you need to do there? Uh, yes, sir. So uh, right now in the hospital setting, we have social workers and our case managers that are well versed with remote patient monitoring. And so for our Medicare beneficiaries that are uh, with certain conditions, we are sending them home with equipment and then we have picked a primary care provider to follow those patients once they're discharged from the hospital. So it did take kind of a team to determine, okay, what conditions are we going to start with? And again, congestive heart failure is one of our uh, biggest um, admissions to the hospital as well as readmissions. So congestive heart failure was one. COVID, again, with our number of COVID patients recently, uh, that has been a second condition. So it really took kind of a team approach. So not only did they have a provider, but we had a social worker, a case manager, we have what's called a, tr uh, a transitional care team um, that helps with the discharges. And then we have a NAVCARE representative that is helping us to get these patients set up. And then NAVCARE will also reach out to the patient to help get that equipment set up appropriately and make sure that they're uploading those vitals on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. As you've been measuring this, I have a two-part question. What are some of the KPIs that are most important to you in this study? And um, what have you learned from this? What surprised you uh, as you've been getting the data in and, uh, and analyzing it? Uh, so <laughs> that is a great question. And I think that there we've learned several things. Number one is, um, for certain conditions, we have been able to reduce that readmission rate within that 30 days. Uh, number two, it's really increased the quality of life for those patients that are not having to come back and forth to the hospital setting. For those patients who are enrolled in this program, anecdotally, we have gotten great feedback that they are truly appreciative that someone is reaching out, again, whether it be on a daily, weekly, um, every other week or monthly basis, just checking on them. Um, we have had to train our staff because if a patient's vitals fall out of the norm, we are getting messages through our electronic medical record, your patient's vitals are such and such, we did this or we recommended this based off our protocol. So we're getting messages back. So really there is a kind of full loop communication between the care team, the patient, and their primary care provider. So um, it, 
initially we did not have a bridge um, with NavCare into our electronic medical record. So uh, that was a barrier that we had to cross. Um, getting patients signed up and uh, letting the patient know that this was not something that was a, a scam kind of deal. Um, and then educating everyone involved. So that's the social worker, that's the case manager. Those are the nurses on the floor, that's their primary care providers, that's the nursing staff within the clinic. So um, there was a big education that went around this, but so far we have been pretty successful with this and we are very proud of this. Mm -hmm. So you've given us a lot of information on this, a lot of uh, anecdotal information as well about how it's uh, been implemented and how it's worked for you guys. You've been through it. Uh, there are probably some things, if you look in the rearview mirror, you would have done differently. So for anybody who has not implemented a program like this, what are a couple of lessons learned or first steps they should take? Yes, yeah, so um, I'll be honest, we actually, there was a few of uh, leadership that sat down and said, can we do this in-house? And so with our electronic medical record, we just, um, so we do both chronic care management and remote patient monitoring. With chronic care management, in order to bill Medicare, you have to meet a 20 minute requirement. And as of January, 2021, Medicare now allows us to bill every 20 minute increments up to 60 minutes. So we just did not have the platform that would capture every second that you were on the phone with a patient. So when we looked at could, could we capture the time with that patient, that question was no. Number two, did we have the staff to work 24 seven and have nurses, pharmacists on call and could triage these patients and at that point in time, no, we did not have the appropriate staff to staff it. So I would say as an organization, you have to look at number one, do you have a platform that can handle this new technology? Number two, do you have the staff to roll it out and be available 24 seven, 365? And if the answer is no, which it was for us, who could we partner with that would be able to help roll this out? And, you know, contracts can be 12 months, 24 months, 36 months, depending on who you partner with. Um, and you have to look at the benefit to risk ratio for your organization. And so for us, our return on investment um, has, has been great for our institution. Okay. So I want to end with some, uh, personal notes from you. Uh, we were talking offline and you had some huge news from your sister uh, that she has um, gotten quite an honor recently. Tell us about that. Yeah, so my oldest sister, <laughs> uh, her name is, uh, she's a three-star general, so it's Lieutenant General Laura Richardson. She's an aviator by trade. And so she's the first female commander of Army North, which is all of the um, United States and all of the borders. And so she was recently um, nominated by President Biden to pin on four stars and will take over Southern Command and she'll be the first female of Army Southern Command and that is a combatant command, meaning, um, 
God forbid we were to have a conflict in the Southern Hemisphere, she would direct both Army and Navy efforts in that area. Well, that is quite an honor. So congratulations to her. And uh, staying with the personal side of it, uh, we like to check in with anybody we have on the podcast to get an idea of what they've been doing these past, I guess it's been about 13 months now. What have you done from a work-life balance perspective to just keep things together, to keep moving forward? What's, what's been on your plate these last, this last year or so? So probably like myself and many other providers throughout the United States, um, really trying to transition on how do we best care for our patients. And during the COVID pandemic, it was very difficult to see patients in person. So how did we, you know, uh, how were we able to accommodate our patients? And again, that's where um, we have a platform with Amwell. And so we were able to roll out telehealth. That included audio visual appointments with patients. And for those patients who um, did not have that capability, we were able to do telephone visits and Medicare rolled out, you know, payments for both audio visual and audio only appointments. And so it's been very accommodating for our patients. The problem is um, a lot of us probably were not used to telehealth. And so uh, there was some, uh, there was a, a rapid learning curve for both the providers, the patients and the staff. But just like anything else, uh, we were able to overcome that and now it's become part of our practice. So telehealth is, is a much part of our practice as in-person appointments. Right. Beyond telehealth, um, on a personal note, have you picked up any new hobbies? Is there any kind of exercise you've been doing? Anything from a family or personal side you've been doing these last uh, 12 months or so? Well, um, like some of my patients during the COVID pandemic, I was not as active as I used to be and I picked up some, some pounds. And so now when I talk about diet and exercise with my patients, I tell them I'm talking to myself. I have to get out there and do 30 to 40 minutes, three to four times a week, and I've got to manage my diet better. And so we, when I say we, we can do this together. And so I think sometimes your patients are very appreciative when you can also let them know that you also have difficulty with some of these things. Dr. Coffin, these are great insights. It's been a joy talking with you and thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, sir. Well, that's gonna do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Dr. Janice Coffin. You can hear Dr. Coffin speak at MGMA's upcoming Medical Practice Excellence Pathways Conference, May 11th through the 13th. For more information or to register, go to mgma.com slash pathways conference. And thanks to Nuance for sponsoring this week's show. Visit nuance.com slash DAX to sign up for a live stream demo and explore how DAX, Nuance's ambient clinical intelligence solution can transform your organization. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or experts you'd like us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com. 
where you can find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership. Thanks.